From VimePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VimePair Podcast. Guys, I mean, I did survive. I just want you to know I'm okay, I'm healthy. <laughs> you did better than the Auburn Tigers, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tough loss. Tough mm-hmm. loss. Uh but it was really interesting, man. It was really, really interesting to be on a college campus and sort of, <laughs> you know, see what was going on. I've taken two COVID PCR tests since I've been. I'm <laughs> negative. The vaccine works, people. The vaccine works. Go get the vaccine. <laughs> but I also was, I took a lot of precautions and only, I was only outside. I did not go into any bars. Um, I was bummed to not get a, an Instagram photo of the mask though. I was looking for the, uh, oh know, no, uh, no, I'm not trying to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know. I thought maybe you'd have it painted, you know, have some tiger stripes on there. No, no. Um, but it was fun. It was really fun. We, uh, I was, I will tell you, I was really, I guess not shocked. Shock's a bad word because it's, I shouldn't be shocked at this point, but what do you think I'm going to say? What did I see all over campus? I know uh, what you're going to say. Seltzer? Mm-hmm. Just seltzer. I mean, <laughs> that's seltzer. all anyone was drinking. It's crazy out there, guys. Like, well, that's... <laughs> That's it. I mean, just everyone, especially, especially anyone of a certain age. So obviously college kids. And then probably if you were in your twenties, that's all anyone was drinking was seltzer. And I was just like, wow, I could not believe, well, I could believe, but it was still sort of surprising to me. I mean, as I mentioned last week, I went with my wife to a baseball game uh, here in Seattle a few weeks ago, a month ago now, I guess. And it was astonishing to me in a sense, like so much of the of the inventory space that was dedicated to beer in the past has been switched over to seltzer. And that's what Mm -hmm. a lot of people were in the crowd drinking. And like, it makes sense, I guess, but it is like, it is, it is wild to think about. And we, we sometimes have talked about, and maybe on this podcast, we'll have to come back to kind of what seltzer has displaced, but yeah, that like what would have been, you know, light lager is so in so many places now is seltzer and, and, you know, I kind of get it. This is so funny because we have a piece coming up next week um, in which Dave Infante explores whether hard seltzer has like displaced the college kegger. I uh, definitely, I think has, I mean, it was great. It was just crazy. It was like, and I didn't see, I mean, I definitely saw a lot of white claw, mm-hmm. but I didn't see like really, I just saw seltzer, right? I, it was, and in all of the, um, the package stores, because that's like sort of the deal in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. That's I just saw. We saw massive seltzer displays. Hmm. Also, a thing in a, th- a thing that's a thing in Pennsylvania, which is really interesting, and maybe it's a thing other places too. But I think we forget about it in uh, New York. Is in the gas stations, mm-hmm. almost every single one of them had walk-in beer coolers and like huge signs like "walk-in beer cooler." <laughs> and so when we stopped to get gas on our way, uh, we stopped at a Sheets, which I'm learning is a very big regional, you know, thing. I like Sheets. And uh, and uh, they had a huge walk-in beer cooler, and I walked in, and I was like, "Well, this is boring. It's just all ABI products. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was nothing else in the walk-in beer cooler." But I was like, "I need to experience this massive walk-in <laughs> beer cooler." Um, it was pretty funny, but yeah, uh, it was it was fun. I have a seltzer gripe, which is that I still can't find this Bud Light <laughs> seltzer flannel pack oh. anywhere in Seattle. Save yourself, uh, man. I, I, well, I want to, we were hoping to do it on an episode eventually, but I, it might be winter before the time yeah. I'm able to get it. <laughs> yeah. But, no flannel pack you, for you. No flannel. you. Joanna, you broke into it, didn't you? Can you give me any, any info? Uh, they all taste like candles. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I will say that it was a pretty amazing, uh, I mean, my, post. yeah, I made my, my partner Evan try them all. He was hilarious. Yeah, was, really funny. was this his, was this in condition on condition of him getting to watch football? 
<laughs> no, it's on condition of, of you know, Joanna being willing to go back to Canada. Uh, like, I will only cross the border if you try our great seltzer products. Uh, no. no, he was happy to do it. He loves seltzer. Does he, he loves really? Hard he loves hard seltzer. It's so no. Funny. What's his brand yeah. of choice? I don't know. I think he likes White Claw. I, I don't I, – I You don't know what's don't in your fridge? That. We don't – I mean, we have – Flannel pack in our fridge. Right That's now. amazing. I just love in the one video where he just immediately spits it out. That was <laughs> like, so good. that was a genuine spit take. It was so bad. That was the <laughs> one. So anyway, I oh. hope we all try them together. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait. <laughs> Adam, cover the mic before you uh, spit it out. The <laughs> yeah. Ruin it. Yeah. Wait, uh, so Adam, then did you did you drink a lot of hard seltzer this weekend? No, no. So <laughs> okay, so that's also what you forget about. Um, tailgating is how friendly everybody is. So we were like uh, grossly unprepared and we like, you know, we pulled up and first of all, I'm not sure what it's, you know, for what people are used to in terms of their tailgating, uh, you know, history or whatever. But in the South, you basically on a college campus can tailgate anywhere. So like Mm. you can pull your car up and you can like, you know, you can be in the quad, you could be, you know, in front of one of the buildings that you're, you're majoring. And like, so all over campus, there's tents and people tailgating and hanging out and like they've parked other places and people like literally will like walk into tailgate on campus and, and Penn state. And I've been told this is more of a Northeastern thing. Cause it's actually my first ever Northeastern tailgating experience. Everyone ha- is pushed into lots that you have to pay to uh. park in. And then they just open the back of their cars or they like drop their, you know, that's not a lot of pickup trucks, tailgates, <laughs> yeah, and they just hang out there. Uh-huh. So it's just a different experience. It's like, like why? I think that's why the Grove in you know in Oxford, Mississippi, is so iconic because it is just like this beautiful section of campus that people set up tents and tailgate at uh, with okay. no, you know, without their cars. And that's a lot of Southern tailgating. So it was interesting. But so we stupidly didn't have a cooler, and then as we're like leaving our hotel, which was uh, really far away. We were like, I guess we should pick up like a six pack and we grabbed a six pack before we left of just like Pilsner. And then of course, when we got to the campus, we were like, well, this is going to get warm really quickly. So we should drink these. And (laughs) then we started like walking around and people just give you beer, (laughs) you know, people are just really friendly. Like you just walk up and they're like, Hey, you want a beer? I will say that was what was pretty awesome too, is how serious the Penn State fans were taking the ensuring that Auburn fans were having a good time. Oh, that is kind like of, they sweet. all kept asking like, are you having a good time? Do you enjoy, are you enjoying state college? Isn't it great? Like, well, it was, it's that, that's totally different than in college football. I think like there's the college. I mean, obviously each team wants to win, but besides a few teams, like, you know, we would never be that nice to Alabama fans. <laughs> well, I was going to say, isn't this the difference between like a, a conference rival and like yeah, rivalry, a yeah. team that you play once every 20. Yeah, that's years? probably true. I mean, we're, we're pretty nice to like, you know, South Carolina fans, we kind of have to be because, you know, it's sad for them. But <laughs> <laughs> Joanna, you didn't realize you're going to learn too much enough so about much the, football. the pecking <laughs> but, order of the SEC on the podcast. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it's, it is funny. It was really nice. Whereas, like in the pros, I feel like no, no pro teams nice to another pro teams fans. I remember going to a Falcon in Philly, went to the Eagles game. Gotcha. And we were warned prior to the game, don't wear anything that shows you from Atlanta or you will get a beer dumped on you. And we were like, okay. <laughs> we were like, cool. We will just not wear anything. We'll wear normal clothes. Um, and we did. We saw Eagles fans get in a fight with an Atlanta fan. And I was like, why? Why? <laughs> Anyways, I talked for too long. Uh, what about, what about the two of you? I, I drank some great things recently. Um, well, first on Friday night, I made, I listened to 
the latest episode of Cocktail College about the Manhattan, which happens to be one of my favorite drinks. And then I promptly made Abigail Gulo's Manhattan, which mm, is a amazing. It's a perfect Manhattan, which I really yeah. enjoy. And she uses three different types of bitters and rye is her spirit of choice here. So it's very nice. Um, and then I also had the long drink oh. this weekend. Like and which Adam, one now that there's so many of them? The classic, <laughs> the original, the people that who you interviewed, Adam. Oh, so in the blue can. Yeah, in the blue can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. So there's, yeah. actually, you know, there's, a, there's now an original long drink, which is not the same long drink. And then there's the long drink oh, I'm putting no. out by Boston Beer. What did I have? <laughs> you had, I think, just long drink. I had long drink. Okay. Yeah. It was great. I really enjoyed it. It's like alcoholic fresca. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It really did taste like that. It was delicious. So yeah, They're tasty. Mm-hmm. Zach. Well, I, let's see here. So I have a, a drink and then I have a story to share with you guys because it's not just Adam here who go. gets to do this. <laughs> so um, I think probably the thing that I had this last week that's been most exciting for me, and we might talk about this uh, in an upcoming podcast, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but we are in the midst of uh, fresh hot beer season here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, which- that's cool. That's fun. We don't get that. Yeah. And it, it's like a for all the like true beer lovers out there, like it's worth traveling to the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, or maybe Portland too. Although I think it's you see it even more in Seattle because we're just there's more of the hop fields are in Washington. Um, but it is it is every brewery around here has multiple fresh hop beers at this point, it seems like. Um, and it's just such a cool thing that is so, you know, it's so seasonal. Um, it's kind of you know, literally they pick the hops and instead of taking them through any kind of preservation uh, tech, uh, technique like they would for any basically anything else they're doing, they literally ship them right to the breweries. Uh, and you basically have to like get them in the beer within 48 hours or basically everything you're trying to get out of them degrades to the mm-hmm. point where it's kind of worthless. So it's wild. Like, um, you know, it's a big deal for the breweries. It's like, you know, a lot of late nights and stuff like that. But the but the beers are just really fun. Um, and it's such a cool seasonal thing. And we've had like nice, you know, kind of good early fall weather where where it's sunny and you know, cool, like lights a little warm but not too hot and great beer weather. Uh, and yeah, nice. so I had a, uh, I've had a couple of different ones. One from uh, Free Remembering, one from Rubens Brews here uh, in the last couple of days, and they are delicious and something to to seek out uh, if you do make if you are around here or if you make it out here yeah, in really uh, cool. late September, early October. Sounds cool. Now story time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as we've discussed before, I do this, uh, subscription wine club with a friend of mine and we, I was placing orders for October because, um, I have a baby due any day and wanted to get stuff done early so that the wines all arrive, that everything is set up so that, um, if I'm not able to be a part of the packing and distribution, everything's good to go. So I placed my orders like 10 days ago or something. And I'm at the restaurant, uh, yeah, my friend's restaurant yesterday looking through everything. And I'm like, huh, one of the wines didn't show up. That's weird. Like the other wine from this distributor came. So I email my sales rep and I'm like, Hey, what's the deal? Like, uh, you know, did something get misdelivered or like, what's the, what's the deal here? And responds to me. And I still can't believe this. He's like, yeah, we're out of stock. Uh, it said so on the invoice. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, but like, you couldn't have told me this 10 days ago when I emailed you or like at some point I'm like, I have to check the invoice to figure out that you like tried that, like it's out of stock. And it is obviously like a, a, you know, a wine buyer in a restaurant or, or retail setting kind of complaint, but it was so weird to me. Like, it's still a customer service job. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to buy wine from this company or from this person. And I've like, 
I was so taken aback at just like the like lack of any attempt to communicate this very mm-hmm. simple fact. Like you're out of stock of it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But maybe I would have wanted to order something else from you. Instead, yeah. we're going to buy something else from another distributor that's, you know, vaguely similar to fill our orders. But like that's sales you don't get because you couldn't take the time to email me. I don't know. It was very Yeah, disturbing. that's crazy. Yeah, it's like ordering ordering something or like getting a gift or something. You're ordering a bunch of things and then unaware that it's out of stock. So you expect it coming like, and then it's not there. Well, or like, I think of it like, again, because this is my background, like in a restaurant setting, if like a table of six people all ordered a cocktail or a glass of wine and the server (laughs) came back with five of the drinks and put them all down and walked away, never said anything. Like that six person would be like, excuse me, like what happened here? And if eventually they flag the server down and like, Hey, what's the deal? And they're like, Oh yeah, we don't have that. You know, we ran out of it or whatever. You'd be like, well, wouldn't you have offered me something else when you figured that out at some point? Yeah. Like, why did I have to seek this information out from you? And that's the part that blows my mind is it's like, I would have been willing to give you the money, like for something else, I think. Mm-hmm. But like now you've like maybe you've done nothing. Yeah. Well, I think if you if you come to me initially and been like, hey, we're out of this. We're out, yeah. How about, here are some alternatives. Here's another wine from that producer or here's a similar wine. You know, I, I don't know what I would have done in that setting. But what I did in this setting was reach out to one of my other distributors and say, hey, can you get this here by tomorrow, please? Because <laughs> I need it to fill my orders. And mm. that's all done. So that's a sale that this other company doesn't get. So wow. tough shit. Crazy. Okay. Tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we want to talk today uh, about hybrids. And if we think that... So I think that you posed an interesting question as we were coming uh, into thinking about this episode, Zach, which is sort of like, not only are we going to see more of them, but is the newer generations of wine drinkers more accepting of them than the older? So why don't you set that up first? I think that's an interesting, I think that's more of the interesting part of the question. I think we will see more of them just because, you know, climate change, but, uh, but the acceptance thing is a big deal. Yeah. Well, so it's funny, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of years because I think so much of what we see, you know, emerging trends, uh, whether it's in sort of natural wine or at least, you know, these sort of styles of wine that, um, that have become more popular of late really doesn't exclude the use of hybrid or even non-vitis vinifera varieties. So, uh, you know, Concord grapes or things like that, um, you know, Catawba, other things that are native to North America, et cetera. And when I was first getting into wine and learning about wine, like, you know, almost no time was spent on any of that stuff. You know, I, uh, like many, uh, <laughs> a Jew of my age drank some Manischewitz when I was a kid. And like, that's basically my own been was until recently, my only experience with like, you know, essentially non vinifera wine grapes. I've had, I've had a number of hybrids because those are occupy a slightly different space. And you see them used in uh, a few places around the world, some places in like Northern Europe, you see it in, in Canada, et cetera, uh, in the Northern U S. And I've tried some of those wines, but basically the, the way that those varieties have been denigrated in the past is like, oh, they're too fruit driven. They're too kind of quote unquote grapey, which is sort of slightly weird complaint, but whatever. Uh, They're too high in acid. They don't have a lot of tannin. But like, I think what prompted this thought in me was like, well, are these characteristics that we laud in Vitis Vinifera really the only things that wine drinkers want now? And in this world now where you're seeing, you know, producers who have a certain kind of cachet doing you know, blending wine and cider, you know, grape wine and cider, making fruit wines, doing all kinds of stuff that is like totally would work with, with hybrids or with, you know, non-vinifera grapes. I was like, 
so why is this stigma still here? And is it still here? And are, is there opportunity for for people, whether they're in other parts of the country or in the world that aren't considered great sites for Vitis vinifera to make wine? Because frankly, like, as we've talked about a number of times on this podcast, a lot of the places that make, to this date, great wine from Vitis vinifera, it ain't looking great <laughs> over the next couple of decades. Like, I don't know how I would feel about my vineyard holdings in parts of California or France. Like it's a, it's, it ain't been pretty the last few years. I mean, I do think that there's going to be more acceptance and like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do think it's because of natural wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there is a growing movement of people who just think that is the term for like right now wines that are trendy. Um, and, you know, there's a flavor profile that a lot of consumers are enjoying. Um, they may not be the flavor profiles that, you know, we like in terms of, you know, very mousy, band-aid-y, whatever. But I think that they, you know, that is, or the very grapey sort of Beaujolais bubblegum style, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're seeing a lot of wines made like that. I'm seeing a lot of hybrids where they're also doing carbonic. Um, and just these really juicy wines that I think a lot of consumers like because they're fun, they're easy, mm-hmm. they're very approachable. And I think that is allowing hybrids to exist and mm-hmm. for people to accept hybrids. Do I think that hybrids will be accepted by the same people that are like huge Barolo, Bordeaux, Burgundy drinkers? I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. But you know, but but in that in the world of natural, I definitely think hybrid will continue to grow. I think it's also, I mean, you said younger wine drinkers. I, I think that's also like people who are kind of unaware of this uh, stigma around hybrid grapes. I think, or uh, they won't, they're not aware of it. So why would they discriminate against a wine that's made from those grapes? You know. Well, and I think that's an excellent point, Joanna, because one of the things that like we've seen is not just in natural wine, but I think in just in wine more broadly is as you bring more and more regions and varieties into the fold, how is someone who's not a wine expert going to know that Hanarabi's Ve is a vinifera variety and Seval Blanc is a hybrid? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no one knows. I mean, Seval Blanc probably people, sounds to a lot of consumers yeah. like it's a, like it's a, you know, a, yeah, a or Tramonet mm-hmm. or, you know, even Vidal Blanc, which is maybe a little more widely known because it's used for, dessert wine in Canada a lot, but like all these varieties of like hybrid varieties, you know, they don't, I mean, we're not, we don't live in a wine world anymore where people only drink six varieties, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And if you're the kind of person who is, is seeking out wine from Georgia or uh, Slovenia or Croatia or wherever, like you're, I mean, you're not going to, you're going to just, the the name of the variety, if it's even on the label, isn't going to register with you. And if you're getting alternatively a hybrid wine from, you know, again, maybe from Wisconsin or Michigan, or you're getting it from, you know, Northern Germany or something like, I don't know. I I just don't see people being too caught up in the like, well, this isn't all of it is vinifera. I mean, especially because many of these hybrids are, you know, if you look at the the way they've been, they've been developed, you know, they're, they're 90, 95% vinifera with just like a little bit of kind of some other variety to give them a little more cold resistance or frost Mm -hmm. resistance or some other characteristic that, that, that is considered desirable. I think the real fascinating thing too, in all this is, are there 
just, you know, under development hybrid varieties, as I think there are, many of them are not yet really named or, or commercially available that are being developed, not as hybrids were previously, as I mentioned, for these kind of very cold regions. Mm-hmm. But obviously the problem we face going forward is places where either, you know, access to water or extreme heat or potentially just very unpredictable weather mm-hmm. is a bigger concern. And can we, can hybrids be developed that, will thrive in those conditions mm-hmm. and might replace the varieties that we now associate with mm-hmm. those great regions. I don't know that in 30 years, the, you know, the, the slopes of Barolo will be replanted to some hybrid, but it wouldn't no, totally would, like, shock me. Want to go crazy. Um, <laughs> I know. I'd be well, so collect bad. it now, so Adam. I know. Well, I don't collect, <laughs> but I'd like to have more. Well, you know, um, I might think about it. <laughs> I had a crazy thought and it's probably, it's, it's probably going to piss some people off. But I, I've been, but as, but I've been talking. I've been thinking about this. So, I think one of the things that natural wine has done, and whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, and again, I want to be clear. When I'm using the term natural wine, since it has no definition, I'm going to define what what I, the yeah. way that I define natural wine, which is, I'm not talking about wines that are biodynamic and organic, that you know where the wine still comes out clean and you can taste the varietal and you know it tastes like the, of the varietal, even though, and of the place, right. I'm talking about the Mm -hmm. wines that, you know, through infection of like the spoilage yeast, Brettanomyces or through, you know, sort of the mousiness quality, et cetera, or carbonic maceration have like something else that is more powerful in the wine than the, the essence of the grape. Mm -hmm. Right. So in that movement of wine, which a lot of people like, I mean, it's crazy. I, you know, to take a, a weird tangent, like one of the fastest growing brands right now in the U.S. Uh, is a hard kombucha, mm-hmm. right? So that same that flavor profile, like that kombucha thing, is very popular right now. June Shine is the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, the fu- the funk. Yeah, they, the funk is the funk is the funk is the thing. Um, <laughs> Rydals don't matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's basically like a red blend. Like th- that world of natural wine is the red blend is, is the red blend of the wine world of that, of that wine world. That's what I'm going to yeah. say. Like it is, the rattles don't matter. It's like, is this the flavor profile you're looking for? And in that world, Zach, you're right. Like no one's looking, no one's asking it. I, like, I was at a dinner last night before this event that we all went to with a bunch of like, uh, actually uh, bartenders and like, they were all into wine, but we were talking about sort of, we're at a, we're at a place that only had natural wine on the list. And the people didn't even like the people who were serving us wine didn't even like tell us what the what the varietals were. There's like, yeah, we have a red from uh, Italy, supernatural, funky, and an orange from uh, Spain, right? Like, it wasn't even like a here's the region it's from, yeah. here's the whatever. Like, this is what we have, and I think that that's become more and more and more in that in, in my definition of what I think a lot of what people think of when they think of natural wine is is just does it have the funk mm-hmm. and does it have the or does it have the juicy you know the juicy juice. And no one is really that concerned with what grape it was made from, which is fascinating, but it does make sense, right? Because when you do have those things happen to the wine, the varietal characteristics of the wine go away. I mean, I know we've had this conversation before, Zach, prior to Johanna, uh, PJ. PJ. Um, <laughs> but, but like, what does varietally correct mean? Like, I don't really know. And we can talk about that again at some point, but you, I definitely think you want to taste a varietal. Like I can still tell you that it's Nebbiolo, even though it's from a bunch of different, even if it's made in different places, yeah. it's still Nebbiolo. And I think with some of these wines, they just aren't. And so 
hybrids are great because if it doesn't need, if you're not looking for that, if you're looking for it as a vehicle to get the other flavors that people actually like, hmm. then who cares? Well, I, th- I don't know. I also think it's kind of interesting because when I think about when I go out and order wine, I just kind of want a wine that's delicious and tastes good. And I yes, feel totally. like I, I care less. I mean, I, I'm, I have no wine training or anything like that. I'm still learning a lot about wine and I just, I don't really care about the varietals. And I'm not saying it's because I want like the funkiest natural wine you have on your list or anything like that. I just, I just care more about how it tastes. So I feel like if hybrid, hybrid wines are delicious, sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that we found and, and it's, it's something kind of echoed in your uh, statement right there, Joanna, which is like, there was a period of time when, you know, certain grape varieties, I mean, this is a phrase that I loathe, so I'm going to use it and, and immediately dismiss it. We're kind of considered, quote unquote, noble. Right. And other varieties were, you know, I guess, ignoble. And, <laughs> you know, there's frankly, like, if you look at the origins of this, there's a lot of like weird, like very kind of creepy eugenics kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of race theory, let's put it that way, in like this idea about everything, not just in grapes, but grapes were a a prominent place for it. And, you know, so much of what we've come to learn about different varieties and how they grow and how they express themselves is like, well, there might have been a point in time when through lack of knowledge about viticulture or winemaking that, yeah, maybe it was harder to make a great wine from a certain variety than another. And that might have been why certain varieties were prized in one place and less, you know, cherished in another. But a lot of that stuff is you know, apocryphal, ahistoric, and frankly, just doesn't hold up to modern understandings of wine. Mm-hmm. And so this notion that, you know, that only these few grape varieties, or frankly, that only this one species, Vitis vinifera, is capable of producing great wine, is a, a frankly a myth that's just persisted because right. it gets lazily passed down because it fits well into a textbook or fits well into a, a you know, a 30-minute training that someone gets at a restaurant or at mm-hmm. a, you know, something like that. And and everyone in the wine industry up until recently was invested in the truth of that myth, right? You know, producers all the re- that spend a lot of money to grow, to plant and grow Vitis vinifera don't necessarily want someone else to come along and say, well, actually, it turns out that I can make equally good wine from this sort of like unknown hybrid variety mm-hmm. um, that it, I grow in a place that where the land cost me a hundredth of what it cost you, but my, but the people who buy it like it just as much as your wine. I don't know that 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 is exactly where we're at at this point, but it doesn't seem impossible to me that that could be true, at least for some meaningful segment of the wine drinking public. And frankly, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about getting away from this fetishization of certain varieties over all others. That being said, I will say that what you your point, Adam, is I think a well-made one and an important one for people to keep in mind, too, which is that. One thing that we have valorized, and I think rightly so in wine over the last century, say, is the notion that there is some value in wine communicating something about where it's from in Mm -hmm. drinking it. And that communication can happen through the variety to some extent, i.e. certain varieties are associated with certain places or maybe only grown in certain places. And it can be in the sort of mono varietal nature of certain wines, and it can be in the winemaking and all that. But when you, as you described, you know, the kind of natural wines you were talking about, Adam, when you, when the thing that people are treasuring in a wine is 
are other things, you know, Botrytomyces works just as well on hybrid or non-vinifera varieties as it does on vinifera. Then, then we are, I think, in a perfectly valid expression of of wine. It's just not going to convey those things, and it would be good for those who are in that industry and and want that style of wine to open themselves up to, as some of them are, I think, to this notion that, like, well, why do we need vinifera in the first place? It's hard to grow. It's mm. expensive. Like, why don't we make our wines from other types of grapes? There's no inherent reason not to, other than that we can't put, you know, uh, uh, varieties that people are familiar with on the label. And and since many of them are not really interested in doing that, yeah, uh, who cares? You can huh? give it whatever fanciful last name you want and put whatever, you know, crazy label on it you want exactly. and it can be whatever shade of purple you want. And like, <laughs> that's fucking great. Let's, yeah. let's, let's party. Yeah. Glue, glue. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Boo. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, it is interesting though, but I do, I think the cool thing is that whether it's because, you know, the reason for you making wine with hybrids is that, you know, you're on the side, Zach, that you discussed, which is like, screw you. You have biases that are bullshit. I can make a beautiful wine with these grapes, not just this vinifera. Or you're on the side of like, glue, glue. It's super cool that more people are using hybrids. Um, and I think, you know, it's great to be able to now go to places like New Hampshire and Vermont and things like that. And they have good wineries. And, you know, across the country, like, that's awesome. And if I think having wineries in communities is similar to having breweries. Like they're places where people can go and they can, you know, see how wine is made firsthand and they can, they're also great places to socialize and they're usually places that support really great cuisine, you know, and, and help sort of build economies. Like the reason there's a lot of, you know, wine countries exist is because sort of like wine country in terms of like an area, right. Is that they usually have, go along, like hotels come with them and mm-hmm. great, you know, um, great restaurants and stuff. So like if that can happen in other places and it's just, with hybrids now, that's that's freaking awesome. So I'm yeah. all for it. I want to add one last point, which this reminded me of that I think is also kind of cool here, which is the other thing that, that has been hard for hybrids and non-vinifera varieties is that because they have been so, you know, looked down upon by sort of fine wine, that they largely have been made for not that consumer, right? Like whether it's Manischewitz or like we got some wines, you and I had them a while back from a producer in Wisconsin, uh, Vines and Rushes, I believe is what they're called. And like the the owner who who sent us the wine and, and communicated about it was like upfront that like a lot of their clientele likes sweeter wines. So they make a lot mm-hmm. of sweeter wines because not necessarily because that's the only way to make a hybrid, uh, to, to use hybrid grapes, but because the kind of people who are open to drinking those varieties are not typically people who want what we think of as fine wine, therefore they may want some sweetness. But I don't think that that means that you can't make great dry, you know, wines from these varieties. And I think the more that people open themselves up to the possibility here, you know, that that denigration of hybrids and non-vinifera varieties is, oh, of course they're sweet, is really just a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't think there's any reason, there, there is no sort of, you know, uh, viticultural reason or, or sorry, like winemaking reason why you can't ferment those wines dry. You just, you're the, many of the producers that currently exist are trying to meet a market demand that fine wine doesn't really speak to very well. So mm. I think that those of you who are going to come at me and be like, Oh, all hybrids are sweet. Like that doesn't have to be the case. Okay. It just has been the case because that's who is willing to buy hybrid wines and people who like sweet wines. Yep. Team, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I, if you, if you're into some hybrid wines, let us know which ones they are. If you make hybrid wines, you listen to the show, send us. I'd love to have <laughs> them. Uh, and you know, Joanna, Zach, talk to you Friday. Thanks guys. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.